HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. You're listening to The Food Scene with today's guest, Chris Cosentino, and I'm scared already. <laughs> you, can't, you can't control him. You can only hope to contain him. <laughs> um, Chris is a dear, dear friend, so I'm excited and nervous to interview you because I, I know your food. I know you intimately, not in that way, but we've known each other for... You just went down a really bad road already. <laughs> yeah, I told you, we're not FCC regular. We can say whatever we want. Um, but we've known each other for a long time. Um, I had the great fortune of being able to do your first cookbook with you. Um, but there's so much backstory uh, to, to our relationship and to your food, to your palate, that I kind of want to dig into that, the things that people don't usually get to hear, like where you grew up and what you ate and what were those formative things that made you who you are today? Well, I mean, you know, for starters, you and I have been working together now for... I'd say eight years. Yeah. And it all started at the uh, Star Chefs Congress. So, and then we talked about, you know, Michael started coming out and shooting uh, the annual Head to Tail. And it's been this consistent, um, every year Michael comes out. And when we were anticipating a book to happen, <laughs> which, the awful book, which didn't happen first. But, um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. And I think, you know, you've seen me grow and we've seen each other grow. And I think that's what the best part is. You know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, but it's also been like-minded ideology. I think a lot of people know you for awful, and that's such a pre-concept. Yeah. And You've, you know, I mean, it's. I mean, you are wearing the most amazing foie gras T-shirt my, ever. Yeah, the black flag foie gras shirt. It's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm pretty much. I've been touted as the lips and assholes king. You know, the awful <laughs> king, the sausage machine. You know, it, it, it's kind of all been penned on me, but. 
the one thing that we've consistently done at the restaurant since the day I started, you know, nine years ago was vegetables are a huge part. I have relationships with all my farmers and I've been buying from them forever. And you don't have to scream and yell to get a person to eat a fucking carrot, but you really have to scream and yell to get somebody to eat a cut of meat that they're not familiar with. And it was, you know, I use vegetables every day and, you know, that's actually my largest cost in the restaurant. And the offal cuts are, you know, something that a lot of people wanted to throw away. They just wanted to dispose of. And, and in classic Italian peasant cooking, those were everyday meals for these people. And I really wanted to focus on that peasant food, you know, and those, that peasant ideology of, of using everything. And I think um, that turned into, oh, my God, this guy just serves only guts. And then it turned into he's a fear factor chef. And it just kind of rolled and turned into this insane thing that it is now. Yeah. I mean, Well, let's look back at Cucina Povera, but let's look back at your life growing up in New England. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in, in Rhode Island um, of Italian and English descent. My mother's English. My mother's family founded Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, if you've ever been to Newport, first beach in Newport is called Easton's Beach because that's where my mother's family landed. Um, now none of us live there anymore. Uh, and then my dad's Italian. Uh, his, my great-grandmother, Rosalie, came from Naples. So, well, that's so we think. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of grew up in two really distinctly different worlds. Both were meat-centric. My English family were sausage makers. They brought the art of sausage making to the U.S. from England and would make breakfast sausage. And they were the first people to make, pack, and sell raw sausage up and down the eastern seaboard. And in World War II, they decided to discontinue production due to the fact that spices weren't available because, you know, the Nazis were submarines out there torpedoing everything that floated across no more the water. Trade route. No more trade routes, so no more spices. So instead of making an inferior product, they closed the business. And, you know, I now have that recipe. I'm producing that at Bocalone. Um, and then, you know, that was the English side. And then the Italian side, my great-grandmother, Rosalie, used to make pasta. And I used to crank the pasta machine or make tomato pie. I mean, so it was always a part of my life. But it's just, I don't know, it just became the norm. You know, I grew up working on commercial fishing boats, and I lobstered, I repaired fishnets, you know. I was officially called the master baiter <laughs> when it came time to go set up the, the bait pots, you know, for lobsters. And um, the wheelers, Talman and Mac, really, really great fishing family who I went to high school with the kids and they've all now grown up and become fishermen and fisherwomen and um, you know Alan Wheeler was my captain and I used to work on the boat with him and talk about hard work yeah and you're talking about fish though if liver was put in front of you at that age um, would you have eaten it <laughs> you know my great-grandmother used to cook tripe and I used to she lived on a, a three-story her and you know, Grandpa Duke, they bought a house that was three stories, and they rented out uh, the first two, and then they had a basement where she jarred her own tomatoes, made dandelion wine. She was a pretty incredible woman. And I could smell tripe on the from as I walked in the first story, I could smell it on the third floor, and I would run screaming. Yeah. <laughs> it was a horrifying scent to me as a kid, and it's kind of ironic at this point that that's what I do and use so much of it. And, you know, think about last night. You know, you and I went to Takashi, and we had a a raw first stomach yeah. of cows. So, I mean, it's like, 
Who would have thought that a kid that was so petrified of these cuts of meat would be eating them now? Liver wouldn't have touched it. Um, you know, I remember my mother making liver and onions, and it was just not cool. It well, was not digging it. We'll skip over school and go straight into work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you went to Johnson and Wales. Yeah. Uh, got a great formative education there. Mm-hmm. Um, started working. I mean, you work with Jean-Louis Paladin. You know, I started, ironically, I started off at IHOP as a dishwasher. Um, and I thought it was cool to watch those guys bang out eggs like nobody's business. I mean, it's just an art form to be able to cook a perfect breakfast. And if you're cooking a perfect breakfast, you know, almost 18 hours out of the day, you're, you're a pretty badass cook. And that kind of spurred when I started to go to culinary school. And after graduating from school, uh, I moved to D.C. and worked for Mark Miller and Bob Kincaid. And I applied for a job at the Watergate to work for Jean-Louis. And uh, he met with me in his, in his very French way. You're too fucking green, man. <laughs> too vert. No, no, no work for you. All right. And then, you know, fast forward. God, I don't know. Five years later, um, I had the opportunity to work with him in a different, different outlet. You know, I'd moved to California from D.C. I'd worked at Rubicon. Uh, I'd been there for two and a half years. I moved back east to open a restaurant on Martha's Vineyard, then moved back to San Francisco. And when I moved back, I didn't have a job. The restaurant that I was too open with a friend of mine hadn't opened yet, but I got this, hey, I need you to go help out this event. I can't go, and I committed to going, and if I don't go, the chef's going to be mad. And nobody really told me who the chef was. So I, got, I had to rent a car, and I show up at uh, Stagland Vineyard's home to do a charity event, and it was Jean-Louis. And that was the first time I ever really worked with him. And I just put my head down and worked. I mean, it was one of the pivotal moments for me work-wise. Um, he really took me under his wing and gave me so much. And at the end of the day, I mean, <laughs> he fired his chef that day. Like, he's like, you're fired. You're in charge. I had no <laughs> idea what the hell I was doing. And, you know, the guy never laughed. He just, just stayed out of Jean-Louis' way. And, and it was a very eye-opening experience. Yeah. You so, know, but he inspired me in so many ways. There's so much that he said that you, I still live by every day. What are, what are some of those quips? What are some of those phrases? You know, after the event was over, I mean, we did 500 people. And I remember the menu. We did pastrami squab with uh, pickled cabbage. We did an heirloom tomato terrine. And this was like pre-agar. So, like, it's made with gelatin and it's fragile as shit. And we're, cu- we're slicing this terrine in a refrigerated truck with no room. And it's like Susie Heller, who's, who's the co-author of Thomas Keller's books, and I are sitting and she's passing me plates. And... You know, I learned him to do one spoon quenelles with him. Every one I made wrong, he made ten right, and he would whack me with a spoon. I still have that spoon. Um, but after the event was over, you know, I, I'm done, and he goes to sit down and drink some wine with the Staglins, and they're doing these huge vertical flights, and and I go do what I normally do is just go and clean up. It's time to go clean up, break down, get all the you know the food put away, wrap everything up, and he comes out and finds me and asks me to come sit down and join them. And one of the things that, you know, he offered me a job that day. And I just moved back to California. And I, and I said no. That was probably the, the hardest answer I ever had to give in my life. Um, but he, he, one thing that he kept on saying, he, he taught me how to slaughter a pig verbally. He talked me through the harvest of a pig. 
you know, when I was a kid, this is how we would do it. And you talked the process and it was so eloquent and, and so much respect in how that process happened. I was completely dumbfounded, you know? And then, uh, the one thing that, that I live by every day is these, you cook the food from your heart. You cook the food that you believe in. The moment you cook to get a review is the moment you've lost. And that's so true. Yeah. And I mean, I see it in you every day in every visit to San Francisco at every head to tail. Um, but from a Frenchman to the Italian philosophy, which you belie today, uh, what transition there? How did you take Jean-Louis, you know, uh, knowledge and convert it into your own? Well, I think as, as much as Jean-Louis was a, a very strict sound Frenchman, he also loved beautiful products. And that's pretty much Italian philosophy all in itself. You find the best things and you don't mess with it too much. And I think he, I mean, without Jean-Louis, we would not have what we have now. He changed the scope of the food products that are in the United States. He, he helped brown trading become what it is today. Uh, Chef's Garden is what it is today because Jean-Louis fed that. Uh, finding beautiful fish and cuts of meat that weren't normal in the States, he brought to light. And I think without him, we would, we would kind of be a ways back at yeah. this point, you know? And I think he, it wasn't the fact that one's French and one's Italian. It's just his mindset was so forward thinking that it just, it just made sense. But is that why you chose San Francisco? It's similar climates, uh, similar respect to produce. You know, San Francisco, I was working for Bob Kincaid at the time and, uh, I'd been with Bob for about six, seven months and we, Tatiana and I were talking about it and it was either, do we come to New York or do we go to San Francisco? But all the boxes of wine kept on saying California, Napa. All the produce said California. So it was kind of this, all right, let's just go to California. So we drove across the country in a U-Haul, which was hellacious. Uh, but it was, a, it was a pretty eye-opening experience, you know, living in D.C., going from Rhode Island to Washington, D.C., which, you know, had a much longer uh, growing season than where I grew up. You know, we had a three-month summer, maybe a two-month growing season. D.C., that gets extended out. And then you go out to California, and it's just like you have a huge growing season. So going to San Francisco is kind of a – the way I looked at it was, okay, you can go there. You can be who you are, do what you do. But it's all about the food being delicious and tasting great. And I think that for me was this the big eye opener. And you can literally walk down the street in San Francisco. This is what I told you know a lot of my friends when I first moved out there. It's like I can show up tomorrow with knee high go go boots, right, hot pants, and my hair on fire, and nobody will care. And I thought that that was a pretty cool thing about San Francisco. You know, it's just like this very open minded, you know, really embracing city. You know, so. We moved out there and, you know, started at Rubicon and kind of worked all around. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and talk about how you biked up to Encanto with your dyed faux hawk and <laughs> the land of fruit and nuts accepted you as their own. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries. They cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. And be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org here with Chris Cosentino. Looking like you're ready to say something already. Well, I mean, nobody can really see us. That's the, like the, I guess, the beauty of radio because you have people with radio voices and <laughs> TV faces. But we're in a giant fishbowl and at Roberta's here, and which is the epicenter of Hipsterville. And we're in the fishbowl, and they're watching us. It's a little awkward. I don't know if they're actually watching. As they eat their pizza. <laughs> With a fork and a knife. But they want to hear what you have to say. They're, they're <laughs> they don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> no, no, not at all. They don't even know we're in here actually on radio right now. Um, you rode up to Encanto, what, nine years ago now? Nine years ago, yep. On a, on a fixie? No, no fixie. No. On a single speed mountain bike. No fixie. <laughs> with a blue faux hawk? Yeah, I had blue hair. And I got married with blue hair. <laughs> but how did you convince Mark to marry you into that business? You know, when I showed up at the restaurant, um, it was an interview with Mark, my, my now business partner. Um, I just, I rode up on my bike and I had packed shoes because I had bike shoes on and I had to change my shoes on the sidewalk and I didn't realize he was watching me. But I mean, that's, I mean, my whole thing is, is it's about being honest with who you are. And I think that is what Mark saw. I mean, it wasn't like I was hiding what I am. And I think what Mark was looking for at the time was somebody to come in that is a little bit different from what he'd been used to and somebody that could come in and run the kitchen and go with it. And, you know, you know me, I'm not afraid to work. And it was a big challenge to take on. You know, the restaurant had been open for a year and and it, you know, needed a a reboot. So So in the nine years you've been there, what have you done to change Encanto? Man, I mean, when I first got there, there was a lot. I mean, there was, you know, it's just changed so much. Like, I can't even, like, pinpoint each thing. I just, I look at it now, and and I look at menus and how they've evolved, and I look at the layout of menus as they evolved. I mean, everything's changed so much over those years. You know, we did a, a dining room redo two years ago now, and, you know, I've since, I mean, from... From the nine years ago to present, I mean, we now have pasta extruders. And, you know, when I first got there, they never made in-house pasta. And that was like the first thing I put on, made part of the program. So, you know, our whole animal program, I'm, right now I'm going through one whole hog a week. And right now I'm getting red wattle. We're going through two to three suckling pigs a week just for private parties. Two whole lambs a week. And on top of that, we probably do about four legs a beast. So, I mean, that's just like big animal cuts. And then just like the regular, you know? It's yeah. just, you know, when I got there, the, the, the chef before me was buying pre-portioned ribeyes. You know, talk about food costs. Yeah, there wasn't odds but, and bits board. No, there was no odd bits and, you know, serving all these cuts. I mean, that was the big discussion to Mark. And, and within that first week, you know, the conversation was, how much freedom do you want me to have? And Mark put his hands up. 
And he said, you know, this is your kitchen to run. I'm not going to put my thumb on your head. And I felt that that was a really great partnership to get involved with because not a lot of people want to do that. They want to control what's going on. And, you know, when we did our first head to tail, if I had said that to any other restaurateur in the business, they probably would have told me to pound sand. Yeah. And Mark did it like full bore. And, you know, we have now done that nine years in a row. And that's, that's pretty incredible. What was the first dish you put on Encanto's menu that scared people? That scared people? There's been so many. <laughs> Just rail them off. Just name them all. Well, when I, when I first started nine years ago, Beef Heart, Grilled Beef Heart was the one that kind of scared everybody. Uh, then it progressed to Beef Heart Tartare. And then Tripe Salad, Cold Tripe Salad. Beef tendon, like braised beef tendon dishes. Now we're doing puffed beef tendon. Um, duck testicles, lamb testicles. Um, raw venison liver. Uh, I mean, blood moose. You know, now we're doing uh, thank you to Fred and Dave at Joe Beef. We're, we're doing pigskin spaghetti, which they taught me, you know, a year ago, which was like, man, I, I actually cried at dinner at Joe Beef because I hadn't thought of it first. I was so... <laughs> disappointed in myself that i just broke down and uh it's just i think there's so much out there there's so many things going on you know when we first made uh beef you know like beef liver batarga people kind of freaked out you know we grated over pasta or you know it's all a learning curve kidneys weird people out yeah but these are all delicious cuts and I think it's really funny to see like how it's changed over those years from when we used to not be able to sell them and now I can sell like blood blood parpadelli with pig's head and uh, onions so it's like you know garlic chives fresh garlic uh, onion flowers uh, chive batons scallions a little bit of caramelized onion with pig's head and, and blood pasta so we make the pasta out of pig's blood and and it's actually pasta. There's flour in it and stuff. But, you know, if I tried to do that eight years ago, I mean, people... I mean, I was already... When I started, I was like this mutant redhead that came to town that everybody wanted to like, what's wrong with him? Why is he serving these things? And as time has gone on, people have kind of embraced it. And it's been a really nice change over the years to see. And I think that's the, the biggest goal I've ever had was to make these cuts part of every day. And I, I'm not... I've never said that I am creating something new. I've never taken credit for, you know, being the inventor. All I'm doing is reintroducing the old, you know? And I think uh, I recently just saw a great TED Talks with Rodney Mullen. I don't know, you know, Rodney Mullen is like the godfather of, of modern street skating. He's absolutely brilliant. He's 49 years old still skateboards every day, but he's, he really made a, a great point and it's very similar to, chef community it's like he started skateboarding because he felt ostracized in his school and a lot of times a lot of cooks and chefs become chefs because they want to be in a community of like-minded people so skateboarders are kind of in the same vein they're kind of outsiders and they're looking for that like-minded group of people and i think your goal whether it be at least my goal was to be able to hang out with my peers and to be appreciated by my peers. To have respect from your peers to me is the most important thing. Make your guests happy. You know, be hospitable. That, that's what this business is about. But the point Rodney was making in this TED Talks was that, you know, he wanted to create something that could then be passed on to the community and then would be changed and manipulated to become 
somebody else's, and then another person's. Whether it be the Casper slide, which originally came from a freestyle trick called the Casper, or a dark side slide, which was a trick that he would do on a freestyle board that he now does down handrails. So he gave these tricks out to the world to use and manipulate, and then he has respect from his peers, but then they take those tricks and take them to the next level. And I think that's what you know I've always tried to do in the kitchen with these cuts of meat, is show people how to work with them and how to use them, and then how to take it, and then they take it to wherever they want to. Yeah, I actually tweeted out a question um, of, you know, what what do you want to know from Chris about Ophel? And two questions. One was, what would you eat raw other than liver? And the second one, because Thanksgiving's down the road and a lot of turkey gets wasted, what do you do with off, off cuts of turkey? So um, every year, um, well, uh, raw, I think... Um, Heart meat is delicious. Raw heart meat. You know, tartare, beef heart tartare, venison heart tartare, lamb heart tartare. Because you were saying last night it's it's lean, but it's a worked muscle. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a heart muscle. It's similar to, uh, like, I compare heart to when somebody buys a whole chicken. So chicken legs are have a lot of blood use, and it's a used muscle. So it's a darker meat. It has more flavor profile. So with beef heart, you still have to add a fat to it, whether it be foie gras fat, olive oil, egg yolk. But um, the flavor is very, it has a lot of depth, a lot of minerality. Um, you know, I was just introduced to raw tripe last night, which was really cool. Um, I'll be calling Chef Takashi <laughs> and asking him how. And that's that sharing thing, you know? It's like, I want to figure out how I can do that in an Italian vein. I think that's very cool. Um, I mean, there's tons of things to do. And like and in Turkey land, you know... <sighs> We serve turkey testicles. We serve turkey lungs. Um, every year I go to the 4-H group up in Sonoma with one of my poultry purveyors. Uh, he's a very dear friend of mine. And I've been doing this for a couple of years is I help these kids harvest their turkeys. They raise heritage breeds turkeys, specifically for slow food, to raise money for 4-H, you know, for these kids to go to college. So they ask me to come up every year, and I've been harvesting their turkeys with them. And I've seen a lot of these kids grow up. I mean, some of them age 8, and now they're, you know, 18, 19, it makes me feel old, <laughs> you know? But these kids, you know, they, they participate in raising their birds and they also participate in the harvest. So I get all the lungs, I get the unformed eggs, which are just like big yolks. Um, we salt those and dry them and grate them. The lungs are delicious. Testicles, of course, everybody knows the liver and the gizzard. Everybody makes giblet gravy. But um, I don't know, you know, confit turkey necks are pretty good yeah. too. What parts haven't you figured out a use for yet? Well, some of the things that I really want to get my hands on, which are amazing to me, I really want cow's udder, but that's a no-go. Yeah. It's a big no-no. So it's more a problem of not being able to get product than being able to use product and serve something that... Yeah, a lot of it I just can't get my hands on. A lot of it's deemed unfit for human consumption by the USDA, and the reason being that it's they say it's unfit is because they don't know a use for it. So, like, lungs uh, have been deemed unfit for human consumption because they can't inspect them. They don't know how. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a liability issue. It's a liability issue. And, you know, if you know where your animals are raised and what's going on with them, you can always get beautiful product. I just think um, nobody likes fighting that war. Yeah. I won't bring up foie today. <laughs> we'll talk all Oh, that's there. a first. That's yeah. a first. Somebody <laughs> doesn't want to talk about foie gras. Because I want to talk about your book a little bit because... 
I mean, not just because I got to work on it with you, but I think <laughs> the project shows that side of you that people don't expect, uh, you know, from vegetables to just this, this lightness and this consideration about things that isn't, like you said, fear factor. I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think the, what everybody thought, there's a perception of what I am. Uh, people think I'm a, I'm a fucking barbarian. You know, they think I'm out there and I'm be the first person to like take the neighbor's dog and make it into dinner. And, and that's not true. You know, I really do. Um, I love animals. I, I love properly raised animals. I love, I have a dog, you know, um, I have a kid. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think this perception is, is that I'm just out there ready to kill anything and eat it. And, and that's just not true. Yeah. You know, it's because I'm so vocal about eating these cuts of meat. That perception has become what everybody thinks I am and should be. And the book was a way for me to show what we do every single day. I mean, this is every day. Michael, you've eaten at the restaurant for nine years. You know, you know, that these things, these things are there, you know, and it's, like I said earlier, you don't have to yell at somebody to eat a carrot. You have to yell really loud to try to get them to try tripe. Yeah. And that's, that was the thing. And, and so I wanted to kind of show everybody that I wasn't a one-trick pony, how the process worked at the restaurant. I mean, literally, on the cover, that is a dinner menu. That, and that's how we work it at the restaurant. It's like scribbles and scratches. And, and that way, there's a process about putting things together. Yeah. I mean, just watching you go through the process of making a book, too, is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I say that in the kindest way. Um, it was fascinating because you had to work through some ideas uh, of you know what to put in the book and how to present it, and you know working with editors. It was like a, a whole new kitchen. I mean, you're used to one way of working, and then you get yeah. thrown into this uh, you know protocol. I think the book process is very uh, eye-opening for a lot of people. You know, uh, as a chef, you have control over what you do and you make the final say. When you sign on to do a book, you have a lot of other people in your way. So you have to be very smart about how you move forward. Um, There may be need a little dodge, a left and a right, but it's all about getting the final product you really want. Yeah. It has to, it had to come through as me on the page. And, you know, having some learning disabilities and not being able to, like, articulate properly, you know, uh, getting the words on the page were really hard for me. And, you know, thankfully, you and Jen figured out the video camera thing so we could get all that stuff down. And um, it allowed it to sound like me, you know, and I think, but the, the feel of the book, the what I wanted it to look like, that all changed due to a very impromptu dinner, which was pretty funny, actually. I think that that was a an interesting day to to look back at. I learned a lot from that moment. Yeah, you and, know? and then moving forward too. I mean, this is not going to be the last book you do. No, this will definitely not be the last thing I do. Um, I'm I'm already starting another project. Um, you know, you and I have been working on the Oval book for a long time, and now it's in its kind of third rework to be something a little bit different. And you know, having my wife be on board with that is going to be great. Yeah, you know, I think she understands me pretty <laughs> I would say better than anyone <laughs> she knows how I think and sometimes the words come out of her mouth before they come out of mine or sometimes she corrects me for being a ding dong but I think that that's that that's really this next one will be a really interesting project yeah. and now you have the platform not that you didn't already I thought you did but I mean there are things coming up with uh, Top Chef Masters yep. Top Chef um, Masters starts airing July 25th 
YouTube hungry pork you pork you I'm really looking forward to it. it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah and I mean more projects abound because you love product too uh, you have knives you have what else uh, so the knife line uh, four knives come out from Shun this November it's called blue uh, it's a uh, it's uh, uh, blue carbon steel knives uh, I have four different models uh, four different styles and then the Wolverine comic book will be coming out this fall finally um, I'm really excited about that. I mean, it's kind of cool to be able to write. It was a little awkward, but I mean, I'm, I'm writing what I looked up to as a kid. You know, Wolverine. How awesome is that? You know, um, that was just totally yeah. bizarre. And it's all food-based, and it's all based in San Francisco, and I'm already working on the second one for that right now. Well, it's always been funny, uh, Easton, your son, um, has always loved being in the kitchen around food, you being a chef, but hearing... Him tell someone that, oh, my dad's a superhero. Yeah, that was a little, <laughs> that was a little awkward, a little <laughs> uncomfortable having him say that. But um, you know, that was the hardest part for me is writing, writing Wolverine and th- them wanting to be more me, more of it, and I'm kind of looking at myself in a different light. So I was weeding myself out of it a little bit, and they're pushing me in deeper, and I didn't want a certain role that they wanted me to have, so. It's good. It's all good. It's all fun. It's yeah. just, it's uncomfortable. It's like, how do you write yourself into your like childhood heroes comic? Like that just doesn't, that just like, I don't have adamantium bones and knives don't come shooting out of my fist. Be a lot easier at work. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it just, it was so awkward. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's such a misnomer um, because Bocaloni is a euphemism for both you and your sausage company, you know, loudmouth, um, where I, I know you as someone much more comfortable behind the scenes in the kitchen. I mean, that's where I spend most of my time with you. Um, and I feel like I know the real you and being in front of media and, fr- you know, in the forefront, it, it's a hard transition. It's a little uncomfortable for me. Actually, it's more than a little. It's, um, it's become something that uh, I kind of struggle with. You know, I'm, I'm a kitchen grunt, you know. I, I'm, I still love, you know, being in the line. I, I love cooking. I love working really hard. Um, you know, I love that that conceptually putting together dishes and, and being on the line and being in the shits with my team. It's like without them, I couldn't do what I do, and I think they enjoy having me be a, be with them every day. And it's um, it's a I guess it's an evolving part of my career that I'm just not used to. Yeah. Well, one focus you've never lost is your sustainability too. Aside from just sourcing the little things that I see in your restaurant, <laughs> where it's. Uh, giving back plastic bags to farmers, uh, saving all the rubber bands, you know, setting up a sparkling water system, um, and that much more that you care so inherently about what you do, and these things are glossed over. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's a decision we make, you know, and those decisions are hard, yeah, because it takes a lot of time and energy, health and dental care. Yeah, I mean, we've we've offered eye eye medical dental to all our full time employees from the day we opened the restaurant, and you know. It's just something that we feel is really important. You know, it's it's tough. You know, we make we make tough decisions, um, but at the in the end, Mark and I can look ourselves in the mirror and go home knowing that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, and it is awful good. It is always awful good. Chris, thank you for being out. This Thanks, will dude. be the first of many, I'm sure. And I, <laughs> I I was I know we're not FCC regulated, but I thought there was going to be a little more. No, not always. Sometimes I can control my my bursts. Yeah, sometimes. So. And everyone out there doesn't know that we haven't taped it like eight times just to make it right. Oh no, it's totally <laughs> it's totally like 
on the upswing. You know, we're live here, so yeah. If I if I looked and said bag of dicks, <laughs> I just got the roll dies. <laughs> we just waited till the PR agent was out of the room. <laughs> Um, on that note, we're going to leave it with a trivia question to win a signed copy of Chris's new cookbook, Beginnings. What would be Chef Cosentino's last supper? And don't answer. I'm not answering. <laughs> no. I know what it is. <laughs> Tweet it back to heritage underscore radio dot, well, heritage underscore radio on Twitter. And uh, first correct answer will win a signed copy. Chris, thank you again. I'll see you head to tail next year. Thank you. Off to the Sover Barbecue. <laughs> You've been listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here listening to the food scene next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.